I'm Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Our podcast series is titled Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. And my golly, we do feel like the tide is turning. Uh, probably one of the most distinct elements of that tide turning is really incredible success on oyster reproduction and, um, and availability in Chesapeake Bay waters. Uh, I'm here with Jackie Shannon and Heather North, two CBF employees who run with uh, Callie Johnson, CBF's Oyster Restoration Center in Virginia. And what you three, the two of you with Callie, have done is nothing short of extraordinary. Jackie, you're the boss. Let me, let me start with you. Tell us a little bit about CBF's Oyster Restoration Center in Virginia. We are located on the main campus of the Virginia Institute of Marine Science, located in Gloucester County, Virginia. We have a work site there where hundreds of volunteers dedicate thousands of hours to dedicating or to restoring the oyster. Hundreds of volunteers, thousands of hours. Correct. Volunteers, we say, are the oil that runs our machine. <laughs> they make our program shine. Heather and Callie and I are the individuals that commit to uh, enormous annual goals, and the volunteers are the labor force that really um, accomplish those efforts. Jackie, when did you get started with CBF? I started with CBF about eight years ago. Heather? Just over two years ago. And you'll have to excuse my voice. I lost it this morning. So. Oh, you sound great. Don't worry a bit. And, and uh, Jackie, what was your background before coming to CBF? I went to school for environmental science, always having a passion for marine conservation specifically. Like most aspiring marine biologists, I imagine I would be swimming with the whales and dolphins. <laughs> As it turns out, uh, I'm working with oysters. Swimming with the oysters. That's right. But once I um, got into my studies, did a little uh, bit of internship work, working with oysters, and realized that they clean the water for everything that I love. They really are the foundation to a thriving, healthy ecosystem. So I was hooked at a pretty early age and was so fortunate to have this job opportunity open up for me. And Heather, what were you doing before CBF? I am. Um, so I was living in South Carolina. I went to Coastal Carolina University and I was working at an aquarium as a show diver and educator. And while I loved doing that and it was great for a public outreach and education, I wanted to do something a little bit more big picture out in the, in the water, making a difference. And um, I got introduced to oysters in a class at Coastal. And um, so I knew that that was always something that I really liked um, learning about and understanding how important they were. And then same thing as Jackie, I read the a job description and I couldn't believe that this was actually a real job and I was like I'm applying and amazing amazing opportunity that I got it. So. You came you were trying to pay us to do this and we offered to pay you as a Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you really were swimming with the uh, the dolphins and the whales so at least so to speak. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was sharks and stingrays but Sharks still and very stingrays. Cool. <laughs> did, but did you ever know my friend Dana Beach in South Carolina? That name doesn't... He works in the sure. Ace Basin. He oh, okay. runs an organization similar to the Chesapeake Bay Foundation for the Ace Basin in South oh, Carolina. very cool. So did either of your parents ever think that their daughters were going to be working full-time with oysters? Did, you, did they have any idea about that? My father uh, has a commercial uh, fisherman background, working on a shrimp boat in North Carolina. So at, at an early age, I was always uh, just very um, appreciative of that lifestyle. 
um, very attracted to uh, making a life on the water, um, basically being a, a farmer, but out on sea. So I don't think he was too surprised. I grew up um, exposed to that yeah, culture a little yeah. bit, and I, I think... Um, yeah, if anything, they're they're a little jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, bring them up and put them to work as one of the volunteers. Heather, how about your parents? Um, I grew up in New Jersey, so I don't. It was always about a little over an hour to get to the water, and we used to go to the Outer Banks um, for vacations, and then we started going to the Caribbean and doing scuba diving. So when I, as soon as I started scuba diving, I think my my dad especially was like, "Okay, I know what you're doing for the rest of your life. You're going to be <laughs> working in the water." And I was always an animal lover, so. I think they they weren't surprised. I know that they're um, bummed that I couldn't be living in New Jersey or something. But um, they're well, you're closer than South Carolina. That's you're a, you're that moving is in exactly that direction. My argument, yes. <laughs> Both of you came to work for CBF and work in the Oyster Restoration Center with the legendary Tommy Leggett, who got the center started. Tommy. Um, <clears throat> Uh, has a degree in oysters or an envi in the environment from Virginia Institute of Marine Science, Correct. I believe, Jackie, yeah, and started the Restoration Center. Give us a sense of, of, of what it is the center is trying to achieve and where we are in that, in that spectrum of, of, um, of uh, ambition. But when Tommy started the center, he wanted to make a demonstration that aquaculture was feasible, that it was a way to grow oysters sustainably, keep people in that industry. And that's what the whole purpose of the original Oyster Restoration Center in Virginia was. Um, in addition to- And I should say, Tommy, former uh, lifelong commercial waterman himself. Correct, he, he saw some of the writing on the wall that our oyster harvest uh, probably couldn't sustain his lifestyle and, and many of his other fellow watermen. And so he had the foresight, he was really a pioneer in aquaculture and he never gives himself enough credit for how much groundwork he laid for the success that we have in Virginia today. A, a half of our oyster harvest come from the aquaculture sector, which is very significant. So Tommy, um, as the center was able to demonstrate success and aquaculture was widely and successfully embraced in Virginia, the center began to evolve. CBF obviously prides oyster restoration for the sake of their ecological benefits. We look at each oyster as a living water treatment plant. And so we also recognize that there is a very important value to um, a thriving oyster industry. The two can be very complementary when they're managed correctly. So the program evolved to focus more on getting oysters out for the sake of them being filter feeders, uh, spawning population for future year classes, and critical habitat for so many of the other species that, that we want to restore in the bay. So as the bay evolves, as things improve, our uh, programs stay nimble and evolve with that. Uh, we have reef ball production, which are concrete structures that are a wonderful habitat for all kinds of species. Oyster shell recycling um, is a program where we, we reclaim oyster shells from all over the state. We're actually able to claim enough shells to run our program um, annually without having to purchase any oyster shells, which is a which is a major stride that I give Heather a lot of credit for. She manages that effort and has done a phenomenal job of growing that. Heather goes around and collects the oyster shells from the restaurants and puts them back in the bay, right? Um, with the help of a lot of volunteers. Uh, volunteers. <laughs> Let's unpack a few of these things you said, Jackie. Now, first of all, if anybody has, of our listeners hasn't heard, an adult oyster filters up to 50 gallons of water a day each individual oyster. And the filtering is basically taking something we have too much of, algae, out of the water, which is good, 
and turning it into tasty oyster meat. So it's really a win-win. And that, that's one of, there's so many ecological benefits of oysters, but, but that's one of, the, one of the primary ones. Second, you talked about aquaculture. I get asked all the time because, let's face it, there are some negative connotations to aquacultured uh, fisheries. And I get asked, well, are the aquacultured oysters good for the bay? Are they safe? Are they this or they that? The aquacultured oyster, the farmed oyster, is not really something new. In fact, people on the Chesapeake Bay going back decades and centuries have always practiced oyster culture and farming in a sense. And it's the exact same species of oyster. Everything about it does just as good, just as well as the wild oyster. And it's a way to sort of help support the oyster total catch. Is, is, am I right in this? Uh, absolutely. It's a sustainable way to grow oysters. Uh, generally in Virginia, you'll have watermen that purchase very, very small oysters from hatcheries. The hatcheries are able to produce single oysters. They are our native oyster, the exact same species that's thrived in our bay for millennia. And we... Um, Put those into small bags. Um, they grow for about 18 months and they reach market size, which is about three inches. And there is a stigma around aquaculture because you're putting a lot of animals that typically wouldn't be near each other in a confined area. But oysters have evolved to grow in reefs. They um, want to be close together. They want to be close together. That's how they um, are successful um, when they reproduce. They need to be close together. Um, Oyster uh, reefs keep them very uh, safe from predators too. So it's basically mimicking what happens on Mother Nature, but earmarking those specific oysters that are in those bags and cages for consumption. And generally they're replaced every year. So you're gonna have a semi-permanent oyster reef where there may not have been any opportunity for oysters to grow there. Your oysters are getting from baby to market size in about how long? In about 18 months when they're grown in that system. They don't grow as fast in the wild, but they're being, they're being cared for. There's a lot of husbandry involved, culling through. Um, so through that selection process, uh, you can get market oysters very, very quickly. And I'm going to come back to one element of why they do grow as fast as they grow, because they are sterile. They are not reproducing themselves, and that that's important. But I want to come back to Heather for a little bit to talk about the volunteers and what volunteers mean to us at our program in Virginia, and we, we should say right now, we do have a similar program in Maryland, much of it really duplicative in both states. Talk a little bit about the volunteer effort and what it means to your success. Sure. So they are vital in anything that we do. Um, as you mentioned, it's just the three of us that um, are work that work for CBF. So we I mean, for example, we, Jackie always likes to say that we, um, we commit to these big goals and deliverables and the way that we achieve it is with our volunteer help. Um, just in the last few weeks, we planted over three million oysters in the Lafayette River, and in the Lafayette River in Hampton in, Roads. In yes, in Norfolk, mm-hmm. yes. And there's no way we could have done that without um, our volunteer helps. We have uh, volunteers to come to our work site to help us empty our tanks, load up the trailer, load up the boat, and then plant. It's a great opportunity. It's one of um, I know our volunteers' favorite. Um, activities because they get to see the whole process from the shell recycling where it starts where they're collecting the shells all the way up until where they're cleaning the shells bagging them filling our tanks and then they get to see the final product of where they they put those shells back out into the water that are already seeded with the the baby oysters so if if someone is listening to this and wants to volunteer with you how would they 
get a hold of you? So uh, my email is H, as in Heather, and then my last name, North. So it's hnorth at cbf.org. Great. And, of course, anybody can always call CBF's central number in any of the states and ask for information about volunteering. Certainly in Maryland, they can reach us at any of the numbers um, that are uh, published throughout all of our websites and things like that. Let's come back to this concept of, um, of, of getting to market size more quickly. And the fact that the farmed oysters, aquacultured oysters, are primarily triploid. And triploid is just a fancy scientific name for sterile. They can't reproduce. Why is that helpful in the farmed aquacultured oyster industry? Oysters put a lot of energy into reproduction uh, and during the entire summer. They're using a lot of their energy and fat storage to spawn gametes into the water. And as a result, they tend to not grow as fast for, for many, many months of the year. And uh, their meat quality is not as good in the summertime because they have used a lot of their um, internal resources to, um, to future year classes. So the oysters that are grown primarily through aquaculture, the sterile oysters, that happens on a hatchery level. Again, they're still our, our native oyster. Uh, but they have uh, been sterilized, so all they put energy into is year-round growth. And that way they uh, taste plump and flavorful, um, even in the summer months. And they don't spend a lot of energy uh, for months of the year spawning. So that way they, um, they grow much faster. And this is a, a sterilization not through a birth control pill or any other sort of chemical manipulation, but rather a chromosome, a, a genetic manipulation. Correct. Um, oysters that have been... Um, Basically, well, there's a patented process by Rutgers, Rutgers University, University and um, a lot of work by VIMS to lay the groundwork for this, uh, this uh, type of oyster. And it takes an oyster with four sets of chromosomes, which is bred with an oyster with two sets of chromosomes, just like all of us have. And the result is an oyster with three sets of chromosomes. And it's a stable condition. That oyster is basically just, uh, it's confused chromosomally, <laughs> and it never puts any energy into reproduction. So you, you take the ability of, of um, reproduction of sex away from the oyster, and all they can do is eat and grow and eat and grow and be happy. And, uh, you know, we've always heard about you know, only eating oysters in months with an oar in them. And as you said, the summer months is when wild oysters are engaged in reproduction. And another fun fact is an oyster can be either male or female and can switch back and forth throughout their lives. I bet a lot of our listeners didn't know that one. And so that activity is what makes a summer oyster not nearly as fat and plump, but more stringy and really just basically stressed. So uh, I, I remember the first time I learned that, and I always thought it had to do with water temperature and the, 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 um, the safety of eating oysters in colder waters than in warmer waters. But now with refrigeration, that's not really an issue. It's really about the taste of the oyster. That's right, the so. quality of the meat. Um, give us, we're going we're gonna to wind down in a second, and I, I want to see if there's anything else you'd like to tell us, but remind, again, the quantities and how that fits into the overall harvest in the Bay. Harvest is not a surrogate for population, we know that, and there are many parts of the Bay that are um, sanctuaries where harvest is not allowed, but the harvest Baywide has dramatically increased 
and aquaculture, both at our centers and beyond. Give, give us a few statistics again. We in, in Virginia specifically uh, harvested 660,000 bushels of oysters last year. That is very, very significant. We haven't harvested that many since the early 80s. Um, about half of that came from the aquaculture sector, so oysters that were purchased from hatcheries and grown out in bags and cages. Uh, but I think we have a really unique example of one of the only um, areas in the world where you still have traditional watermen being able to go out and use traditional tools to harvest oysters. That's culturally significant. And native oysters. Native oysters, exactly. Uh, you'd really, again, don't have another example of that in the world. Um, and I, we, we talk a lot about the importance of the industry and those numbers, but I truly believe it's a reflection of all the work that's gone on in the restoration arena. We've worked with partners for um, almost two decades now to rebuild oyster habitat that we lost um, over many, many years of over-harvesting. We've uh, worked with partners to restock those uh, reef habitats with spawning populations of oysters. And one thing we didn't mention is when oysters um, start their life, they're actually in a larval form. They swim around for about 18 days. And so these uh, broodstock or spawning populations that we're establishing that are off limits to harvesting can still help to seed other areas that may be open to harvesting. And we're starting to see, I believe, a tipping point where these reefs, because we've put them in the right abundance and tributaries and worked for many years at a time in one or two systems, we're seeing an interconnectivity that these reefs are beginning to become self-sustaining. And that's, that's a metric that we're really proud of. Well, it's just, it's, it's, if you add Maryland into the Virginia numbers, we're well over a million bushels of oysters harvested and generally half aquaculture or farmed or cultured and half wild. Ten years ago, that, was, that number was less than, uh, was about 5% of that. And nobody would have believed we would be at this spot in 10 years, 10 years ago. It's just a remarkable part of the success of, uh, of, of one part of the Bay's productivity. Uh, Heather, I want to come back with, just to get you to explain what individuals can do for what we call oyster gardening and how do they get involved with that? Sure, so our oyster gardening program is a citizen-based uh, program where we provide citizens with um, spat on shell, which are spat refers to a baby oyster um, that's already seeded onto one of our recycled shells from our shell recycling program. And we give them to people who either live um, and have waterfront uh, homo homes, excuse me, homes, or um, waterfront access uh, as a public dock or something that they get approved to to use and they can actually grow oysters for us. We give um, our gardeners two cages where they can grow the spat on shell uh, for one year for us and they essentially, they're foster parents so they look at them <laughs> as, uh, as little babies. One of my, um, one of my gardeners, uh, her son is seven and when he took his oysters home uh, this year, he made sure they were buckled in, a, in the seat next to him <laughs> and before they, they put them in the water at home. So, um, what, they, what our gardeners do are they, they grow the oysters, like I said, for a year. Um, after a year, the oysters are mature and spawning. At that point, they return them to us. We have all of our events um, in the month of June, and then we have a few events throughout the, the rest of the summer. Um, and new gardeners, someone who wants to get involved with this, would come to one of our oyster gardening seminars. We have them throughout the state, learn about oysters, the importance, and then learn about how to care for their, their oyster babies for the year, and then the importance of them returning them to us 
uh, for us to then place onto a sanctuary reef where they will then live forever and spawn. And the best part about it is, is when they return the oysters, they get a new round of babies. So it's a constant process where they're growing oysters for us, helping clean up their backyards, and then also um, helping us to then seed these sanctuary reefs for the future. And, and these oysters, which are grown by the oyster gardeners, are reproducing oysters. They're not the triploid oysters. So they're put out on sanctuary reefs and help build the overall population forever and ever to come. Correct, yes. That's, that's very elegant. Um, anything else we should talk about I should have asked for either of you? Just one soundbite I wanted to mention. Uh, when I started with Bay Foundation eight years ago, we were seriously considering um, introducing a non-native oyster. and We, not necessarily, it's not CBF. Not Chesapeake <laughs> Bay Foundation, I, I should say. Um, uh, this the Mar states yeah. of Maryland and Virginia were thinking about this. Correct. Yeah. And that was a, a serious consideration by Maryland and Virginia to introduce a non-native species. And a lot of those trials were what inspired the technology for our native oyster to be grown sterilized um, or to be grown um, in a way that it's sterile so it can grow fast. So we've come a long way. Uh, it's a great time to be in oysters and it's, it's been very rewarding. I'm glad you mentioned that because people will remember the Japanese oyster and the Chinese oyster. It was seen as a, a, a silver bullet, a, an oyster which would not succumb to the two parasites, MSX and Derma, which is another topic we haven't even touched on. And so Rutgers actually did develop this sterilization process in the hopes that those foreign species of oysters which were put into the bay for testing would not accidentally reproduce if that was not the desire because they were um, deemed safe going forward. And of course now there's no more talk about foreign species because the native oyster has proved once the real effort was put into it to be so successful. Another couple of things, um, great entrepreneurial opportunities, jobs are being created, a source of protein and food for the populations, and doing a great job of providing habitat and cleaning the bay. So. This is truly one of the great win-win-win uh, opportunities, uh, inspiring all of us who work at CBF and who support CBF to, to, to keep at it. So uh, Jackie and Heather, thank you very much. Uh, anyone listening can email either Jackie J. Shannon with two N's, S-H-A-N-N-O-N, -N -N, or Heather North, H. North, at cbf.org. If you want to get involved, if you're in Virginia, or if you have access to Virginia waters, and if you want to get involved in Maryland, uh, I know that Jackie and Heather can put you in touch with the right people in Maryland as well. So you can email them, even if you live in Maryland, and say, we want to be involved. Thank you both so much. And the last thing I'm going to say is, I shuck oysters every once in a while, and about Every fifth or sixth oyster I shuck, uh, the knife goes into some part of my hand. <laughs> I have seen both of you shuck oysters, and it's a thing of beauty to watch. You are very comfortable around the oyster shucking table. So women of many talents. <laughs> thank you, Will. <laughs> We're very proud to have you as part of CBF. So thank you all both very, very much. Thank you. This is Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Thanks for all of you for tuning in. <laughs>